Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. This is the 19th sermon that I preached in this series dealing with the message to the young church. It's going to be the last one, I think, for a while at least. But I couldn't conclude the series without dealing with the episode of the Philippian jailer. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to begin at verse 19. A little bit of explanation is necessary maybe for us to understand the beginning of verse 19 in that Paul and Silas have just cast out the devil out of a young girl who was a slave to some men who were using her as a soothsayer or a magician making prophets of the future, palm reading, uh, those things. And now they have lost their income from her efforts. And that's the beginning of verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the words of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, for it is a light to our feet, a path to our way. And as we come this morning to praise your name, we ask that you would be in our midst to bless us in a special way. We don't know the needs of this congregation. We don't know what's going on in anyone's heart. 
But our Father, we know that you are here to deal with each of us as we have need. Where there is sorrow, we pray that you would comfort. Where there is heartache, we pray that you would heal. Where there is physical problems, we pray that you would deal with those after your righteous will. Bring into our lives, we would pray your blessings. May our faith be strong to accept those things that we cannot understand. Help us to have grace to depend upon you that our lives would be subject in every way to your will. If there is a lost soul in this congregation, we pray for that individual, that the Spirit of God might deal with them in a mighty way this morning, and that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ, their Savior and Lord, for we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I did forget to announce that this evening the BYF will be presenting the devotional for our service, so come out and support them in this effort. Paul has come to Philippi. He isn't known there. He knows nobody. It's a strange community. But it isn't long until he runs into three very interesting individuals. First of all, he meets Lydia, who is a believer in God, but who has not come to know Jesus Christ. He met her on Sunday morning down by the seashore, because there was no group of people worshiping God in the town. She is converted and becomes one of the faithful members of his congregation. Shortly thereafter, as he travels the streets of the town, he meets a girl who is a slave who follows him around and keeps uh, saying to everybody around in a sarcastic manner, these are servants of the Most High God. And finally, Paul turns and says to the girl, but more appropriately to the devil that was in her, I charge you to come out of her. And the devil left her and she lost her abilities as a result to uh, prophesy and to tell fortunes, to read palms and all the things that she had been doing to make her master's money. And as a result of that episode, the masters of the girl saw that their gain was gone and so they grabbed hold of Paul and Silas and took them down to the courts, to the magistrates, and charged Paul and Silas before the magistrates that they were teaching things that were not lawful for them as Jews to believe. And as a result of that, he meets the third individual of the trio who is a jailer, a hardened, seasoned officer of the court who took his job seriously and put these men not just in the prison but far back in the dungeon where there was no light and not only did he put them in prison, but he fastened their feet in the stocks so that they could not possibly escape. He had no mercy upon them. He was doing his job and intended to do it well. And so we come to the third person that is met. But before we get to him, let's make one further note about the charges that were made. These men charged Paul and Silas with teaching things that were contrary to what a Jew ought to hear. There was no inquiry into the charges. 
They simply were accepted on face value and believed by the people. What the two men or three men said who owned the girl, they believed. No one dared search to find out if the facts were accurate. I find this true, as I'm sure you do, when it comes to belief in the Bible. And that is, there are multitudes of people who are saying the Bible has no value. It is simply a bringing together of a whole bunch of ideas that are not coordinated in any way. I used to have a secretary who believed this, and as far as I know, she still believes it. She's in her 60s and retired, nearly 70 now, but she said to me one day that I don't think the Bible means anything. It is simply a, a mess of words put together by a bunch of people. I asked her if she ever read the Bible, and she admitted to me that she never did. But she knew all about its contents. And this is the thing that you will find. Anybody will believe anything as long as it is a charge against God or the Scripture or against the church. You don't have to prove anything. You put out a tale, whatever you want, and charge the church, charge the Bible, charge God with any kind of fallacy you want, and you'll find people ready to believe it, although they've never researched it. They never tried to determine whether the truth is there or not. And so Paul and Silas were cast into prison under this same kind of charge. Well, what did they do? Well, we've already seen that they were put in the inner prison. They were put in the stocks. See, stocks were around for a long time and were used in the early history of our country as punishment. And you all remember seeing the pictures of men's legs sticking through the stocks or their head and their arms through the stocks. Well, in this case, they had their legs stuck through the stocks. And they were sitting on a little bench. They didn't have the convenience, very likely, of anything to even lean against. And there they sat with their feet out front. I can't even sit on the floor and put my feet out and stay upright. I've lost that ability. When I was a kid, I could do it. I bet some of you can't do it either. Uh, two minutes and we are, we're going to be dead sitting there with our feet straight out. Uh, and this is the way they were. And they had just been beaten. The whip had been laid to their back. They were ripped to shreds with, with the, the whip that was used. They were bruised. They were bleeding. And now they were in the stocks in a very uncomfortable position. And I can imagine... Silas turning to Paul and saying, what are we going to do? And Paul says, we're going to pray. Well, I can accept that fact. And I'm sure Silas could as well. If you're in a bad situation, the first thing a person thinks about is going to pray. That's usually only when we think about praying. I, uh, for the most part, people in general I'm talking about, even when the sinner gets into difficulty, he thinks about praying. He never thinks of God at any other time. Remember when you thought that same way? We didn't think about God until things got bad. If there is a calamity in the community or in the country, people will come to church and flock to church because their minds are in tune to God. Well, here they were in a bad situation, and obviously these men, being godly as they were, 
uh, thought of turning their minds to God, and so they were going to pray. Here they are in this awkward position now with their feet in the stocks, their back be bruised and bleeding, and Paul says we're going to pray. I think Paul must have thought back upon this experience when later on in life he said, I can endure all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. In Jesus Christ there is nothing that we cannot endure. But do we say this and can we say it? Are we willing to endure whatever our lot in life is because we have strength in Jesus Christ? Oft times we find ourselves failing and faltering and when things get tough we start groaning and complaining and moaning. And this is an unfortunate situation. Here they were praying in an awkward position and we have difficulty getting people to come to sit on padded pews in an air-conditioned church in comfort to do the same thing. Because there's something wrong. The weather is too hot or it's too cold or the air conditioner broke down and I couldn't possibly come on a day that there's no air conditioner. We probably are better off with the fans blowing maybe this morning and otherwise. So we have all of our problems that we think about that makes it impossible for us to be in an attitude of prayer. And in the worst of circumstances, Paul said, we're going to pray. An old church father in the early history of the church by the name of Tertullian said this. He said, the limbs do not feel the stalks when the heart is in heaven. If you think about that a while, you can realize that there is a great philosophy in that that we physically will not notice the discomforts of life when our heart is right. When we're thinking spiritual things about God, we're not going to be so much concerned about our circumstances around us. Our heart will be right. Well, they prayed. I don't think they prayed silently in this case. I think they prayed aloud. Paul didn't say to Silas, let's pause for a moment of silent prayer. Paul said, let's pray. And their hearts went out to God and they prayed. And they got done praying. And Silas said, now what are we going to do? And Paul said, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Had the hymns been written then, I don't know what he sang, but I think Paul would have started out with amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Silas would have joined in somewhere along the line, and I think secondly he would have sung, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I think he might have sung also the hymn that we sang this morning. An old, old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. What would you have sung? Or would you? With your feet in the stocks of life, when your back has been bruised and beaten by the merciless enemies about you, when there seems to be no future, 
For the first time, Paul was in prison. He'd never been in prison before. He'd been, he'd been beaten before, but he'd never been in prison before. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been in prison. I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever visited prison. But listen, I have been in prison as a visitor. I will quote real quick. A lot of times. I've been in the Moundsville prison quite a number of times and spent uh, nearly all day in amongst those people. I've sat around the table and talked with them as they ate the lunch. I've heard their gripes. I've heard their foul language. But at the same time, I've heard their prayers. Some of those people have no hope whatever outside of Jesus Christ Himself. Never will they see the light of day beyond those prison walls. Some of them are there undeservingly. And I particularly have in my memory one young man that is in there for a crime that I personally know he did not commit. But he's there and will serve many, many years. And I've talked with him on a number of occasions and tried to get him to realize that he must always have faith and look up and depend upon God. I believe he yet still is. But I see at times when his faith begins to wane. But here he is, and here you are, and here I am in the stocks. Not in comfort. Because we have been faced with all of the problems of life. And what are we going to do? Paul says, let's pray. And Paul says, let's sing. Now, I think Paul and Silas were not singing for anybody else's benefit but their own. They were not interested nor concerned in those people in the other cells about them. They were interested in the condition of their own soul and the relationship of themselves to God. And they, oblivious of anybody around them, sang and prayed. But here comes the side benefit. They didn't do it in isolation. Somebody heard them. The prisoners in that cell heard them sing and heard them pray. I have in my library some books dealing with people who are, were imprisoned in Korea and, and uh, in, other, in other wars. And one of the things that some of those people have said was their ever yearning just to listen to some words of prayer or a song being sung way down the corridor that they could hardly hear and they listened with every ounce of, of their energy to pick up the words of that, that hymn that was being sung. When somebody sang Amazing Grace from way down the hall, it became important to that prisoner who was way up the hall in his stocks, in his filth, and it gave him hope because somebody was praying. Somebody was singing. And the Spirit of God was present. You may say, I can't preach. I can't teach. Let me tell you something you can do. Maybe you can't even sing a song because you can't carry a tune. But you can hum it. You can whistle it. I thought the other night as I watched part of the newscast dealing with the Democratic Convention and the Democratic nominee was in a casual moment whistling. I don't know what he whistled, but the thought went through my mind, brother, you should have whistled a hymn. There ought to be something coming from our lips, coming even unconsciously from us that will tell people who might be listening that we believe in a God that is supreme 
And even if our feet are on the stocks, we're not going to give up. We're going to sing in spite of our difficulties. We're going to pray in spite of where we are. So when we get down and out, when we're distressed, when we're burdened, when we hurt, then's the time to pray and then's the time to sing with all our heart and all our might. Then's the time to let our collar show. All the way through that prison, the music was heard. And something marvelous happened. The scripture says there was an earthquake. And the foundation of the prison was shaken. God was in prison that day. I can think of a few other times when God has been in prison. I think of Joseph as he was in prison because of Potiphar's wife's story. I think of Daniel who was in prison down in the lion's den and the lions didn't even attack him. Their mouths were closed. Yes, the Lord was in prison this day. The Holy Spirit, we are told, moved upon the face of the deep back in the beginning of the scriptures when the, the earth was without form and void. The Holy Spirit moved on the apostles on the day of Pentecost when he came into the upper room and sat upon each of those apostles and they became filled with his power. The Holy Spirit moved in Cornelius' house when Peter preached to Cornelius and his, he and his household and his soldiers were saved. I believe the Holy Spirit was in that prison this day ministering to the people not only the jailer, but the others who were in prison. And it was through the praying and the singing of Paul and Silas. Why the earthquake? God didn't have to take an earthquake to loosen the bonds, to take the stocks off the feet, to open the prison doors. He could have done that otherwise. I think he used the earthquake to get people's attention. Sometimes God has to shake our foundation to get us to listen. Now listen to me. If it's necessary, God will shake us to our foundation to get us to listen. He will bring us to our knees to get us to listen, to get our attention. The Philippian jailer who probably lived right in the jail or in a room adjacent to it, heard all this praying and heard all of this singing. He was a hardened man. He wasn't interested in spiritual things, no doubt. But in order to get this man's attention, God had to shake the foundations of the house that he was in. There are hardened men and hardened women who won't listen to the gospel, who pay no attention to the church, who won't read the Bible, who think that this is all foolishness that we do here in church, that someday God may decide to shake them literally until they have to get down on their knees and beg for mercy. And this is what he had to do with the Philippian jailer. All of the doors were open, the bands were loosed, and all of the prisoners could have escaped, but there was not one who did because every one of them, I believe, had accepted Jesus Christ in that prison by the testimony of the praying and the singing that they had heard. James says in 5.16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
And certainly Paul's prayer was effective and it was fervent. And he surely was a righteous man. And as a result, there were people saved that day in that prison. So when the jailer came and discovered that the doors were all open, he supposed that everybody had fled and he was ready to kill himself because to allow a prisoner to escape meant your own execution. And Paul had to cry and say, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. No one has left the prison. Why? Because the power of the Spirit had shaken them to their foundation and they had responded to the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the jailer had gone home to sleep and he was awakened. He not only was physically sleeping, but he was spiritually sleeping. And he comes over to see what's going on and discovers the doors open. When he finds out that no one has fled, he calls for a light. And he rushes with that light into the dungeon where Paul and Silas are. And get this, the jailer falls down on his knees before the prisoners and says to the prisoners, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that quite a reversal? He just a few moments before was the mighty jailer, the man in charge, the man who put the stocks on, the man who did the beating, and now he comes pleading for salvation falls down before Paul and Silas and wants to know what must I do people always want what, what must I do well you can go to any religious group in the world and they will tell you what to do some churches will tell you to be baptized some will tell you to uh, take communion some will tell you to uh, become moral some will tell you to sing in the choir or some will tell you one thing and another every group has something that they'll tell you to do but I want you to notice that Paul simply said to the jailer believe and you shall be saved believe those who want to add the word and baptized where there are places in the scripture that do that <coughs> will have difficulty when it comes to this passage of Scripture because Paul does not say anything about being baptized. He says something about believing. Baptism, according to the Scripture, is what a saved person does in order to demonstrate his faith, to show the world that he has been saved. One must be saved first and then he is baptized. What must I do? Believe in a creed? There are no creeds that will save. Make a statement of faith. Do a, go out and do some good works. Engage in a ritual. None of these things have any saving power. What must I do to be saved? The scripture says believe. Listen, everything that can be done to save a person has already been done. It was done on the cross. That's all. The only doing is already done. And Jesus did it, not man. He believes, he becomes a Christian, he is saved there on the spot. And the first thing that he does in verse 33, the man changes. 
after a person is saved, he changes. He doesn't change to be saved. He changes because he's saved. Let's get that direction correct in our minds. And this is what he did. The tough and rough guy becomes meek and lowly. This calloused individual who can lay the whip to a man's back suddenly now has concern for those that he has beaten. The brutal becomes a person of love. The hands of the the man who clamped them in the stocks is now the hands of the man that washes their wounds. The crooked has become straight, the drunk has become sober, the vile has become pure. Because what had to be done was done and received. Zacchaeus gave away his money and the jailer washes the prisoner's stripes. What must one do to be saved? Nothing more than believe. Accept in your own heart the Lord Jesus and then the change comes. Then the change comes. Are you ready to do that this morning? If you are, we hope that you will do it. We pray that you will. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.